Lord God, our hearts are already warm, God. Your spirit is already moving upon us and drawing us to you. And God, as we come to open your word, we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, that your spirit would also warm our hearts, Lord, to your word, that we would be open to what you have to say to us, that we would not only learn, God, but that we would grow, Lord, that not only, Lord, we would, we would find your truth in here, but that those truths would change us, God, and increase our faith and trust in you today. So, Lord, we ask for your special touch upon this time. May your spirit anoint your word right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Boxing legend Muhammad Ali made history as a three-time heavyweight champion with a career total of 56 wins. Now, 37 was by knockout. He only had five losses. With that, you could, you could say that he was nearly invincible. Well, one day during the height of his career, he took his seat on a commercial flight. And as the plane began to taxi down the runway, a flight attendant noticed he was in, he was in his seat but not wearing the seat belt. So she asked politely, uh, please fasten your seatbelt, sir. I don't need no seatbelt, replied Ali. I'm the heavyweight champion. I'm the greatest, as you guys know he always said. But sir, said the flight attendant, the plane can't take off until you fasten your seatbelt. Ali looked at, up at her and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Well, without skipping a beat, the flight attendant said, Superman don't need no airplane either. Put it on. I like that. Guess he's not so invincible as he thought. Well, as we continue our study here in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul shares how the gospel that came to the Corinthian believers, it came through much difficulty. Yet out of this suffering came a flow of strength and power from God that seemingly made him invincible. Paul my hero in the Bible, he was practically invincible. And that's the title of our message this morning, Invincible, Invincible. We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 4 from verse 8 through 15 this morning. 8 through 15. We finished up uh, the beginning of the chapter until verse 7, and now we're at eight, verse 8. We're going to take it to verse 15. Now, I've broken up our passage into four parts, and this is our outline. Number one. From suffering comes life. Number two, from suffering comes fruit. Number three, from suffering comes faith. And number four is from suffering comes thanks. So let's begin here. Our title once again, in, in, Invincible. And number one in our outline, from suffering comes life. From suffering comes life. Take a look with me here now. Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. It reads, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, verse 9, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We'll stop right there. Now, we begin here in verse 8 with the word we. And this includes the ministry team, of course, the pastors and the other apostles. But primarily, Paul is sharing about himself. 
He went through much hardship, as we just read, in bringing the gospel to the Corinthian believers. It wasn't easy at all to do ministry and, and share the gospel. J.H. Jowett said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And certainly, Paul did some great things at a great cost. Yet, in these times of hardship, Paul experienced the Lord working in a powerful way in his life. And that's what we're going to see. Now, in the first section of chapter 4, Paul wrote how salvation comes through what? The power of God and not the vessel. It's not the vessel he uses. Remember last time we found that Jesus, the gospel, is the treasure in jars of clay. And that was our title of our last message last Sunday. If you missed it, grab the CD. We're, we're, we're just jars of clay. And the treasure inside of us is Jesus, is the gospel. And that's the power that can save people. Not the vessel, but the Lord. So here Paul goes on now to say it is that same power that keeps him relentlessly going, even in the face of troubles, even in the time of suffering, even through the pain. See, preaching the gospel had brought Paul serious opposition. Remember, we talked about the false prophets. We know the stories and acts of the Jewish leaders and even the world, even the, the, the unsaved Gentiles and all. Yet, that doesn't stop Paul. Because you know what? G Paul finds that in Jesus, he, it makes him seemingly invincible. So here in what we just read, Paul describes what happens when he goes through these hard times. And I want you to see it this way. There's four pairs of contrasts here. Four pairs of sort of like some paradox where you have a predicament and then the power, the ability that God gives. So I see this as a predicament and a power that are paired together here. And the first thing, look, verse 8. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. That's the first predicament and the power that God gives Paul. So hard-pressed here. Paul said, we, I'm so hard-pressed. Hard-pressed means, in the original language, under the pressure of being hunted down. Paul feels that th this pressure now, he feels this pressure as his life is under constant threat. Yet, even though he's hard-pressed, even though he feels this pressure, he says, yet not crushed. The word means compressed or in a narrow place. It's like we would say today, being boxed in or having the walls closed in on you. You ever felt like that? I have. So the idea here, Paul is saying, I may feel the walls closing in, but you know with God, they will never collapse. I'll never be crushed. Now, Remember back in Acts chapter 23, verse 12, 40 men in Jerusalem agreed together to not eat or drink until they chased down Paul, hunted him down, and killed him. Oh, how would you like to live under that? Knowing there's this threat. Forty guys after you, but you know what? The night before their evil plan was discussed and put together, the Lord had appeared to Paul in verse 12 in Acts 23. And the Lord told Paul, just as you testified me in Jerusalem, so you will also testify in Rome. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm going to get you through. In other words, no fear. You're going to make it, and you're going to make it to what I want you to do. You're going to get through your mission. Do you feel that pressure maybe even right now? Do you feel like 
God, will the walls fall in? Do you feel like it's going to crush me? Well, Paul says, never, never with the Lord. So the first contrast we see is Paul feels like, hey, he may feel the walls are closing in, but they will never collapse. Then the second predicament and power we see in verse 8 is this. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Now, many times Paul was perplexed. In other words, he didn't understand. He wondered, God, why are you doing this? God, I, I, I don't know what you're doing. Why would you allow this? Isn't this, isn't this interesting that even the Apostle Paul had those times, the great Apostle Paul? But he said, even though I'm perplexed, I don't know what's going on, I don't understand, I am not in despair. In other words, he never lacked hope. In other words, he never came to a total loss with God. The idea here, Paul is saying, I may be at loss, but not a total loss. You know why? Because God always has a plan. God always has a purpose, right? Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good, right? God always is, he, he has something going on. He's sovereign there. You ever ask the Lord that? Why did this happen, God? Why am I sick? Why did I lose my job? Why are these people doing this to me? You ever ask the Lord that? Why? You know, when I was um, a young Christian, and, and I remember going through some hard times, and I remember, I distinctly remember driving down the road, and I'm crying out to the Lord, and I'm saying, God, why? Why is this happening? God, why has this come upon me? And, you know, I, I, I remember this just so clear because it, it just really impacted me. The Lord spoke to me and he says, it's not the why, but it's the who. In other words, it's not the why that I need to focus on, but it's the who I need to focus on. For the Lord said, who holds your life in, in, your, in, my hand, in your hands? You know, who, who holds your life? Oh, it's you, Jesus. It's you, God. And actually, Romans 8, 28 had already become my life scripture, my life verse. And he reminded me that he is the sovereign Lord God who loves me and takes care of me. And I'll tell you, on that drive, the Lord never answered my prayer of why. But I realized the who. That God is in control, and he loves me. He's all wise and powerful. He, he knows what's going on. He has things handled. It's the who that I need to focus on. So like Paul, Paul says, hey, I'm perplexed, but not in despair. It's not a total loss. The third predicament in power we see here is in verse 9. He says, persecuted, but not forsaken. Now we understand that, right? Paul was constantly persecuted for his faith, for preaching the gospel. But he said, I'm not forsaken. Persecution did not mean to him that God had abandoned him. God would never leave him nor forsake him, right? Hebrews 13.5. The idea here with Paul is, though I am persecuted for my faith in Jesus, God will always be there for me. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 17, he was, he was writing about, hey, you know, at first everyone left me. Everyone abandoned me. But then he says in 4, 17, 2 Timothy, he says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Paul is saying, even though I'm going through this persecution, God is always there for me. 
I'm not forsaken. Do you ever feel alone sometimes? Like you're the only believer at your job. And you feel like, and you, and you feel persecuted. And you feel alone. You feel like uh, they're coming down on you. You feel like you're like separated from everybody. Or maybe you feel, feel like you're the only believer in your family or whatever group you're in. You may feel alone, but know this, you are never alone. You may be alone, but you're never alone, never. Well, on the fourth predicament and <coughs> power, Paul brings up here in verse 9 is struck down, but not destroyed. Now, struck down is an interesting word in original Greek. It means like knocked down in a fight or even when in, in wrestling, when, when you're thrown down to the mat. But Paul says, I am not destroyed. Destroyed here means like I'm not done with. I'm not pinned. In other words, I have not lost the fight. The idea Paul is saying is, you know, I may get knocked down, but I'm never knocked out. I love that. One pastor wrote, the world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly seeking to knock us out. They may knock us down, but we won't get knocked out. And then he said, because we have one with us fighting for us. And who's that? Jesus, our Lord Jesus. You may have been thrown down, but you're not out of the fight. You may have been, been, been knocked and hit. And even if it hurts, you will live to fight another day. Well, isn't this amazing? It's uh, inspiring all that Paul has talked about here. I, I'm inspired by it. Uh, we may feel the walls closing in, but with God, they're never going to collapse. We may, we, we may be at a loss, but it's not a total loss. We, we, we may feel persecuted, but God will always be there for us. And we may get knocked down, but we're never knocked out. Well, the way Paul handled his predicaments is inspiring. But the question is, how did he do it? How did this power come? How did this ability, how was he able to do this? Because I don't know about you, you know, when I go through these things, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm knocked out, I'm, I'm out, I give up. But how was it that Paul was not destroyed? Well, the answer is found here in verse 10, the next verse. Look at verse 10. Paul says, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Paul says, I'm always carrying in his body the dying of the Lord Jesus. In other words, throughout these predicaments that he faces, Paul faced danger and suffered like his Lord and Savior did. And when he suffered like Jesus did for the gospel, Paul connected with Jesus like in no other way before. And you know what happened? He spiritually died with Christ. See, the death of Jesus was being spiritually worked inside of him through the suffering. So Paul was dying to the old self. That's what was happening. The suffering, the pain, all that was working on him spiritually. So the old self was dying. John Phillips put it this way, the first secret of his victorious life, he lived at Calvary. I love that. He lived at Calvary. 
And isn't this what Jesus said? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And we've heard that before, right? We need to deny ourselves. We need to die to ourselves. We need to, and that's what the suffering, that's what the, the pain, that's what the persecution, that's what these hard times and hardships do. They work on you spiritually to really kill that old self-flesh. And what is the reason to live at Calvary, like John Philip says? Well, he says that the life of Jesus may be manifested in the body. So as we die to ourselves, then what happens? The life of Christ, like the resurrected life of Christ, now lives in our body. See, Paul not only connected his, to, to Jesus' suffering through all the hardship, but he connected to the power of Jesus' resurrection. So you see now how this predicament brought this power. The suffering brought this death of himself, of his ways, of, of try, him trying to do it on his own. That, that he, it brought this, this situation where he couldn't control and what did he have to do? He had to look to Jesus. And as his self died, then what rose up? Jesus came into his life. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. It's the same idea. He experienced Jesus. As he dies more, he experienced Jesus more. And really, this brings us to the point in this section. The suffering brings about a dying to self, which then allows the life of Jesus to work powerfully in your life. The suffering brings about a dying to self, which then allows the life of Jesus to work powerfully in your life. Do you understand what he's saying here? I mean, this is great truth for us. I mean, a lot of times we do not like the suffering, and for me, it's all the time. I don't like hardships. I don't like those things. But it does a work on you. It makes you go to Jesus, and it kills your old fleshly self. You know, many years ago, I was like almost 14 years ago, the first Sunday service that we had for Upcountry Calvary, uh, it, it, was, it was a great time. We, it was our first service. We were at Monkwell School in the little cafeteria over there. And, and, and I think we had about 30 people come. We had invited everyone we knew, our friends, and everybody all came to, to launch this church and everything. We actually had been doing a Bible study already for six months in a home. But this was the first Sunday. So I was excited. Oh, yeah, Lord, you're doing, it's great. It's awesome. Next Sunday comes around. Well, only 12 people came. <laughs> Half was gone. And I'm like, oh, no, what I say? What I do? You know, kind of thing. And it was hard. It was, I, I'll, I'll be honest, it was hard. But I knew God wanted me to die to self. And I didn't want it to be about numbers. I wanted it to be about what God called me to do and my obedience to Him and to just, just preach the Word, to teach the Word and how He wanted me to do it. And you know what I told myself? I told myself, let this hard time be the way it kills me. Yeah? Kills myself. And let me find that life in Jesus, in the power of Jesus. And I did. I found that strength to go on. I, 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 was, I was knocked down, but not knocked out. 
Have you been going through it lately? You're not done. You're not done. But let that suffering help you experience his power, his power in your life. Chuck Colson climbed the ladder of political power by stepping on anyone he could. He was a brilliant lawyer, shrewd politician. He became the special assistant to President Nixon. He did all his dirty work, but after the Watergate scandal, Colson went to prison. But it was there Colson gave his life to Christ. Someone had given a book, uh, Near Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he accepted Jesus, and that transformed his life by the power of the gospel. Well, after serving his sentence, God put it on his heart to do prison ministry. And today, there's a ministry called Prison Fellowship, and it's one of the largest ministries to inmates in America. We, we actually, every year at Christmas, we do the angel tree. That's part of Prison Fellowship. Well, listen to this interesting comment Chuck Colson makes about his life. He writes, The great paradox, basically, of his life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men or women who have been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize that the thing God has chose to use in my life is none of the successes, the achievements, degrees, awards, honors, or cases I won before the Supreme Court. That's not what God's using in my life. Colson goes on to say, what God is using in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a convict and went to prison. And then he says this, that was my great defeat. The only thing in my life I didn't succeed in. Isn't that interesting? See, it's that, that time of defeat, we feel like. It's that time of suffering. It's that time of hardship when we can connect to Jesus and we connect to his power. And that's what Chuck Colson found. It may seem you're defeated. It may seem like that, but you know what? Yourself is dying. And that's when God comes in and does this powerful work in you. And that's what Paul is saying here. The suffering brings about a dying to self, which then allows the life of Jesus to work powerfully in my life. It's time, you guys. To stop fighting the hardships that are going on. To stop asking, why God, why God, and not moving on spiritually. It's time to deny and die to that old self and let those hard times kill it, dead. And it's time for the life of Christ now to rise up in you, to live in you, through you, that you may experience the power of God to get you through this time well let's move on here to number two from suffering comes fruit from suffering comes fruit this is how paul was invincible from suffering comes life secondly from suffering comes fruit second corinthians chapter 4 verse 11 for we who live are always delivered to death for jesus's sake that the life of jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh so paul goes on here he writes for we who live what is that live this new life that he's talking about that we have believers have in jesus for we live are always delivered to death for jesus's sake 
Paul is in constant danger for his life, and he suffers persecution because of his faith, for the sake of Jesus. But it's not for nothing. That's what Paul is saying. It's not for nothing. For it is so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested or may be made evident in his mortal flesh or body. That this man, just this vessel, this jar of clay, that Jesus could shine out from him. So the idea here is the suffering and persecution is well worth the sacrifice for it shines Jesus out through him. John MacArthur said, The apostles' courageous, faithful, patient, enduring of suffering manifested the power of the living Christ in his life. And then MacArthur said, There is no explanation. You, you, you can't explain. How did Paul do this? How is Paul like this? There's, uh, this? No human being can go through this. The only explanation? Jesus. Jesus. How could anyone keep going on like this? It's only because of Jesus. Verse 12. So then, Paul says, death is working in us, but life in you. The New Living Translation renders this, so we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. So the fruit of salvation in the Corinthian believers was the result of Paul's willingness to suffer for the gospel, and he suffered. In Galatians 6.17, I think about this. Paul wrote, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying he's willing, Paul willingly gave himself to suffer physically in order for the Corinthians to be blessed spiritually. And that's our point. Paul willingly gave himself to suffer physically in order for the Corinthians to be blessed spiritually. I was, uh, I, I was thinking about how when I met uh, one of our neighbors and, and um, he noticed some of the boards and stuff on the side of the house. And, and we started talking about surfing and stand-up. Oh, yeah, you know, I used to do these Maliko runs and stuff. And I noticed he has his jet ski and on the trailer in his yard. And, and uh, he tells me, oh, yeah, what's a jet ski? You know, you guys tow in, you know, all this. And he's like, oh, no, nah, I used to do all that. I used to do the Maliko runs. I used to, you know, tow in and all that. But I don't, I haven't been able to do that anymore because, or since, I had kids. Well, I totally understand that, you know. As parents, you understand this, right? We give up much for our babies, yeah? Oh, when the baby's born, sleep, yeah. You know, we, we, we give up a lot, right? We, 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 we put in effort into their lives, you know? We spend time with them, and, and we give up some of our hobbies or our hobbies so we can be with them and raise them in the Lord. We, there's money spent on them. Clothes, you need clothes to get shoes. You already outgrew the shoes. Wow, you're growing fast. We just bought those last week, you know? Now they're too small. You understand, parents, right? We put in, pour into our, 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 our uh, kids, right, so that... You know, they would grow up. They would, they would be well taken care of. They would be protected. That they, we would raise them in the Lord, spend time, teach them Christ, all of that. So they would have success in their life and know Jesus. Yeah, we give up our conveniences for them. But what is all that? It's a sacrifice of love, right? It's well worth it 
if they succeed, if they know the Lord, if they become great, godly human beings, then it's all worth it, right? Well, that's what Paul is saying. Paul, for him, all the suffering, all the sacrifice, all the pain was well worth their success. Paul willingly gave himself to suffer physically in order the Corinthian believers would be blessed spiritually. Do we look at living for the gospel in that way? Think about that. How Paul gave himself so he can see others spiritually find salvation or grow spiritually or find success spiritually. Sometimes the only time we witness is, well, when it's convenient, yeah, when it fits into my calendar. Huh? Or when maybe, well, it's not so scary, right? Oh, I was thinking about, do we really sacrifice, yeah, to be that light and witness to bring the gospel to others? Or how about one another in church, yeah? Sometimes we can't, some of us, you know, are so shy, uh, ashamed that, oh, no, I'm just going to stay right here, talk to people I always talk to. How about talking to someone who might need encouragement, yeah? Or someone comes to you and they're burying their heart and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, I feel so sorry. Why not pray for them, yeah? Don't bring them up to me. <laughs> you can do that too. No, I'll, I'll, I'll pray anytime. But you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we've got to sacrifice our own self, our own conveniences, our own pride. Say, you know what, for you, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pray for you right now. And let me tell you, when you do that, you'll see fruit. You'll see it's worth it when we put ourselves out like that. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? And if we are to follow him, then we need to deny ourselves, take up that cross and follow him. Do that if we want to do and walk in his footsteps. From 1931 to 1936, the Hoover Dam was built on the border of Nevada and Arizona. At the time, it was the largest uh, dam that was made in the world. It involved thousands of workers, but did you know it cost hundreds of lives? People died building that. Well, there's a memorial plaque mounted on that dam in honor of those who died in the construction. And the plaque reads like this. They died to make the desert bloom. I love that. I love that thought. I love that. I want to be that. I want to die to myself. I think about those who prayed for me, who witnessed to me, who, who, who took that effort. Yeah? I know a, a, a neighbor, a house across the street, they're Christians. They're praying for all the kids on the street. They took that time. They sacrificed in a way so we could bloom in Jesus Christ. So should we not do the same for others? Let's go on. Number three now. Number three in our outline. From suffering comes faith. From suffering comes faith. We see why Paul was so invincible. Because from suffering comes life. And number two, from suffering comes fruit. It's well worth it. Make the sacrifice. And number three, from suffering comes faith. Paul goes on here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Now, Paul is writing here that he holds the same kind of faith 
And he actually quotes David. So he holds the same kind of faith David had when he wrote, and Paul quotes Psalm 116, verse 10, I believed and therefore I spoke. Now what is that about? David had confidently believed that God would deliver him in the midst of his troubles. And in that way, he spoke. He, he, he proclaimed the truth. He continued to stand on that truth because he believed God would, would help him out of his trouble. So Paul is saying, you know what? I continue to preach. I continue to share the gospel. I continue to trust in God. For he confidently believes God will deliver him no matter what. Warren Wiersbe wrote in his commentary of what was Paul so confident that he had nothing to fear from life or death. I love that. That's that confidence. Then in verse 14, Paul writes, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. And that's exactly what Wearsby was, was, was alluding to, that Paul knew that, hey, Paul knows that even if he's killed, martyred for his faith, that God the Father will raise him up from the dead, bring him into eternity, bring him to heaven just because he knows, uh, because he raised Jesus from the dead. And so he knows he will live also. He has nothing to fear. Even the worst thing, the loss of his life, no worries here for him. The idea really of Jesus conquered death, why fear it? It only strengthened his faith to look to him. And that's where he found his strength. That's where the faith came out when he looked to Jesus and it didn't matter what would happen to him because he knew what happened to Jesus. He died and rose again. And what? That's the same thing if it went that far. And he knew, he knows that also at the end of verse 14 that God will present us with you. In other words, the Corinthian believers are going to be in heaven and, and Paul's going to be there too and God will bring him home in all righteousness. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So what's Paul saying? Paul would not let any predicament stop the sharing but allows the suffering to grow a greater faith. That's our point here. Paul would not let any predicament stop the sharing, but allows the suffering to grow a greater faith. That's what Paul sees. Paul sees through this time as he fixes his eyes on the truth of what happened with Jesus and the truth of Jesus and the truth that he's going to heaven. Paul knew that through this, he's going to grow even more in faith. One time I was talking story with someone and they were surprised to find out that I go through some trials and I have hard times and sometimes I doubt the Lord too. And they were all surprised. And I guess they thought pastors are, aren't supposed to even go through trials and, and they don't suffer at all, you know. And that, the, oh, everything's all victorious in their life. Wrong. I told them, no, I'm human too. I get scared too. I get worried too. I, I lack faith too, just like anybody else. And we all have this idea, right, that the super spiritual live this victorious life. They hardly suffer. They're just, whoo, they're just cruising there all the way, all the time up there, yeah. Their feet barely walk on the ground because, you know, they're so, you know, strong in the Lord and they move in that way. We have this idea. 
But the truth is, you know what? The super spiritual actually go through more trials, more suffering, more heartache, more pain, more trouble. Why? So that they would grow more in faith. That's why. That they would see and learn that God is there and God's going to help them. God's going to get them through that. Here's the thing. Paul was no longer overwhelmed and discouraged by those difficulties. But it was an opportunity for him to believe God, to see him move powerfully, and then grow even more in faith. Paul would not let any predicament, any of the suffering, stop his sharing. But he allows that suffering that he goes through because of his preaching to grow in greater faith. Oh, that God would open our eyes to that today. That, that we, would, we would see things in our way, the things that happen, that He would open our eyes to His ways, His path. Like I said, no one likes trials. I'm, I'm, I'd be the first one to say that. I don't like pain. I mean, when I get sick and I suffer just a little bit, I turn into this little baby. Please help me, you know. Bring me some water, you know. I, I just turn into this big baby. No one likes trials, but we can accept it, have faith and trust and grow in belief of our God. And you know why? You know how we grow in faith? Because we see God working in the midst of that. And as we see God working, we go, wow, Lord, you are there. I've always been there. I know, but I forgot. Oh, you know how we're like that, right? Wow, and then each situation, each predicament, each time we see the Lord come through. And what happens? Lord, you are there. And then the next time, we have a little more faith, a little more trust, right? And we grow in faith in that way. And so Paul, he says, you know, I'm standing my ground. I'm not going to let any predicament stop from my sharing, stop my preaching. No, but I'm going to allow that suffering to grow my faith because I'm going to see him work. I'm going to see my faith grow. I read something the other day that F.B. Meyer wrote, and this is in my devotions. I want to share it with you. F. Meyer wrote, God will make our obstacles serve his purposes. We all have mountains in our lives, and often they are people and things that threaten to block the progress of our spiritual life. And then F. B. Meyer went on to say, these are the very conditions we need for achievement, and they have been put in our lives as the means of producing the gifts and qualities for which we have been praying so long. Isn't that good? That's so great. That's a new way to say, see things, right? That God makes our obstacles to serve His purposes. The, the predicaments, the times of suffering, the hardships, you know what? They serve the Lord. They are submission to Him. They're proud of, part of His purposes and plan. And those very conditions is what we need for us to achieve, to have success, to become the men and women of God that he wants us to be. Maybe you've been wondering and, and, and you've been praying that you want more faith. Well, I'll tell you what, then more suffering's going to come. Number four in our outline, from suffering comes thanks. From suffering comes thanks. So you see how Paul... He's so invincible because from suffering comes life, from suffering comes fruit, like believers, from suffering comes faith. And now number four, last thing, last verse, from suffering comes 
things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. For all things, Paul writes here, all things, all this suffering, all this hardship, all these predicaments, he's saying, you know what, it's for your sakes. And like he was saying, it's for your spiritual benefit. So you guys would be blessed. So you guys would be saved. All this I go through, it's all worth it, he's saying. It's all for your sakes. So that grace, what is grace? Undeserved kindness, undeserved favor, undeserved goodness. Yeah, God gracing us, giving us something that we don't even deserve. For that grace that we received, right, in salvation. For, for that grace, having spread or reaching more and more people, he's saying. That the grace is spread out. In other words, he, he's saying all this suffering was for you guys. And it brought grace that spread out to everyone. And now the Corinthians are saved, and they're spreading that grace also. All that happened, he's saying, that came so that it would cause thanksgiving to abound. Yeah, abound like exceedingly uh, uh, huge and enormously abound that it would give God glory. Bruce Barton put it, thanksgiving would begin to overflow. I like that word, overflow toward God. So here's our last point in this verse, last verse. Paul says, when God's grace and salvation reaches people's lives, it brings a sweet thanksgiving flowing out of suffering, right? When you see the fruit, when you see God move, when you see through your sacrifice, through, through the suffering that you went through, to see people come to the Lord or get closer to God, it's worth it all. It's worth it all. When God's grace and salvation reaches people's lives, it brings a sweet thanksgiving flowing out of the suffering. We say, thank you, God. Thank you for working through this. Thank you for using me. Last Thursday and Friday, we had two days of vacation Bible school, and it was a great blessing. Uh, there was a lot of work put into it by all the servants and volunteers. Uh, there was hours of preparation, uh, planning the crafts, putting them together, the activities, the decoration. There was much sacrifice and time and effort I saw people do put into that. We went early to set up a, a, a tent at Kanaha and uh, it, it, it was, we were there two days, and I know everyone was wiped out afterwards. Even the parents were wiped out. <laughs> but I'll tell you, it was all worth it when you saw the smiles come on the kids' faces. When you heard them laughing and having a good time in a water fight, yeah? When you heard the little voices singing songs of worship, when, when they were laughing at the skit and when they were learning the lessons about God and David and Goliath and when they were being touched by Jesus, it was all worth it. And I'll tell you, Elaine was just telling me yesterday, oh, it was so worth it when you hear the kids say, let's do it again, let's do that next week, yeah? Of course, we all go, oh, no, no way. <laughs> but that blesses you, right? And you say, thank you, God. Thank you for allowing me to do this. Thank you for allowing us to put in. Thank you, God. It was well worth it to see the smiles on the faces. When the same way Paul thanked God and gave him glory when people were touched by God's grace in salvation. It was difficult. It wasn't easy. 
But out of the suffering came this great thanks and praise to be used by the Lord, to see God work. Do you see that today? Open your eyes to what God is doing through you. Don't just focus on the hardship. Don't just keep complaining to God, oh, I got to do this about the sacrifice of this suffering. Don't be blind to the eternal work that is going on when we step out to serve, when we step out to live for Him. You know, life is hard already, isn't it? Life is hard already. But you know what? Let it be then about sharing Jesus. Let it be about doing things for Jesus. Paul was never about his own comfort. Paul was never about his reputation. Paul was never about his popularity. It was all about doing whatever is needed. And then going through whatever you have to. Doing whatever it takes to shine Jesus. And when you have a person with that mindset, with that kind of heart, motivated in that way, you cannot stop a person like that. The world can't. Enemies can't. Satan can't. Yeah. You cannot stop a person like that. Years ago, I'll close with this, in a communist prison in Eastern Europe, a prisoner was placed in front of the deputy commander of this prison. And he said, so you have been speaking to prisoners about God again, have you? You must stop. And he began to threaten her. The prisoner replied that she could not. She could not stop sharing about Jesus. Well, when the deputy commander then raised his fist to strike her, he stopped suddenly and asked, Why are you smiling? What are you smiling about? The prisoner replied, I'm smiling because of what I see in your eyes. And what's that? asked the commander. The prisoner said, Myself. I used to be just like you, angry, striking out, but now I've learned what it really means to love. And since then, my hands don't clench into fists anymore. And with that, she shared the gospel and love and grace of Jesus Christ to this deputy commander. But then the deputy commander abruptly ended the interrogation and said, Go away! And she left without any violence done to her. I love that story. You see, you cannot stop someone like that. You cannot stop someone speaking that truth. You cannot stop with a love like that. You cannot stop someone who's willing to suffer for Jesus. Jesus truly gave her strength and power at a calm and peace, like Paul was talking about in our passage, which really threw that deputy commander for a loop. You cannot stop people like that. Let's you and I be the same, right? Let's be the same, unstoppable, undefeatable. For with Jesus, right, in those times of hardship and suffering, they will, there will flow a power like you've never seen before that will actually make you invincible. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, that it is you that works in us. God, we don't have it in, it, in our, of ourselves, Lord. God, we are weak. 
and we fail you. We do give in to our flesh and the emotions. Lord, we give in to those temptations to, to take control of situations on our own. We give in to complaining and, and even getting angry at you. We, we, we give in to, to, to all this of the situations and predicaments and the suffering and the pain, Lord, and it is hard, God, and you know us that we are just weak human beings. But God, when we look to you, when we trust in you, God, when we ask for your help, Lord, we find you, God. So, Lord, give us the courage, Lord. God, by your Holy Spirit, give us the boldness, Lord, to stand on your truth. Give us the strength, Lord, to not give in to our flesh, to not give in to shining your light, to understand, yes, we're vessels, jars of clay, but inside of us is Jesus living. And may your life, God, be lived out through us today. And we know with that, God, we can be invincible. Lord, you are our invincible God. God, you are unconquerable, undefeatable. God, you are the one that can make us invincible also. Lord, I want to be a person, Lord, that loves you so much, that lives for you so much, that is unstoppable. Help us all today to be just that, for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. We'll close with one song.